Thank you so much for doing this, Keith. The Great Pottery Throwdown and your book, of course, Boy in the China Shop, Life, Clay and Everything is and everything. absolutely brilliant. When I said that you were coming on the show, the response was massive. You have a lot of fans out there, a lot of fans. Oh, that's No, you good. really do. You really, really do. Can we start um, with the book? It's like a series of long conversations. Like it's very open and it's very friendly and it's like yourself. Was it a long time coming around? It was really weird, actually, because um, we started sort of doing it around the first lockdown. <laughs> um, and I started writing reams and reams of, of the of of my my life stories and stuff and the publishers originally wanted me to have a ghost writer to do it because obviously I'm not a writer and fortunately for me uh Mick is one of my eldest friends uh who used to be the guitarist in the band many years ago yeah um he's actually a writer I would write reams and reams of stuff send it over to Mick and Mick would then sort of conform it and place it into this into this concept of the book that we we came up with which was basically little short stories if you like and experiences in my life and and that coupled with either an object or a person that was influential at that particular time in my life yeah You've said before about, you know, encouraging everybody to find something they really love to do and just keep doing it. And when you were, were you about 11 when you discovered or when you tried to make something out of pottery first? First year of secondary school, age 11, uh, looking like a skinny nightmare. And uh, the art teacher had plonked a lump of clay on everyone's workstation and um, said, see what you can do with that. And as I, as I say in the book, you know, half, half the class started a clay fight and the other half started doing something with the clay. Uh, and I was in the latter half. And the moment I touched the clay, it was just uh, it was like a religious calling. It was like an epiphany moment. I just realized straight away the malleability of the clay, what one could do with it. And it was fantastic. Yeah. And I've never looked back. The first time you, you really felt you were just holding your own imagination in your own hands. Yeah, that's it in a nutshell. Um, and and. You, you know, actually writing the book, but before that, really, in hindsight, because I suffer from dyslexia, it's kind of blindingly obvious that clay was the most natural and perfect source of material to use. Because when you have dyslexia, you have a greater affinity with shape, form and volume. And on Weekend Breakfast, Keith, we would have a lot of little listeners and a lot of young listeners, you know, school age people. Can you... Yeah. Talk about the importance of that teacher seeing something in you. Was it Mr. What was his name? Mr. Mortman. Mr. Mortman. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I'm an old git now. Um, but look, we all we all remember an influential teacher in our lives. You know, we just do. And there's a reason for that. Obviously, in your formative years, you're very impressionable and you're influenced by the powers that be, i.e. in this case, your teacher. And it was it was Mr. Mortman that really encouraged me to carry on with pottery. And it's it, it was fantastic. And, uh, you know, I often say to, to kids, look, it doesn't matter if you have a certain deficit in one area and, and not in another. Use it to your advantage. And I often say dyslexia for me, if I hadn't got dyslexia, I doubt if I'd be doing what I'm doing. Um, right. so it was a bonus. Um, and, and, you know, with, with kids, it's so, so important that, that children at, at school try to do some creative subject. Um, because otherwise, you're, you're, you're really neglecting half the population of kids. You really mm -hmm. are. And it's criminal. You learn so much from 
from doing clay or any or woodwork or whatever it is creatively, not just the creative process of that particular subject. You learn about process. You learn about, you know, consequences. You know, if you don't finish a particular process at a particular time, it has consequences on the next stage of, of whatever you're creating. And that is in- incredibly important for children. It really is. The great pottery throwdown. I don't want to really, in a way, I feel like I can't call you a judge. I think you're more a cheerleader. <laughs> yeah, judging. It's, it, it, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm there, I suppose, because of my years of experience. I mean, I've been doing it for God knows 40 years now. I've seen it, seen it, done it and binned it, really. Uh, literally binned it, put it in the bin. But what's so wonderful about uh, the, the, the throwdown is that you've got 12 potters in a room and, you know, if they survive, uh, you know, to week seven or week five or whatever, you literally see before your eyes, the process of of what they've learned and, and they just, and their improvement. Um, And I just remember one lovely story from the last series with, with Peter, one of the contestants, he was pretty ropey when he first started, but he got through to, to, to the final. And, um, it was quite amazing. And the reason why is because he literally learned from his mistakes. And, you know, whenever, whenever you do anything creatively, it's really about trial and error. And it's, it's learning from your mistakes, trying something new and, and just edging, pushing the envelope every single time you do something. And, you know, I mean, you, that could be a metaphor for life, obviously, but, but that's, that's it in a nutshell. And, you know, even when they get it wrong, or yeah. even when someone leaves, which is it's just a, obviously a shame. You know, it, it's because art is so subjective, um, you know, and never more so than, than this, this current series that's on now. I mean, sometimes Rich and I have a real problem with sending someone home because they're all so wonderfully good. Yeah. And it, sometimes it just does come down to that subjective concept of, of, well, what do we like best? When you're judging, you want to be encouraging. You want to see the positives in, in things as well as the negatives. But, but it's those positives and the way you sort of emulate that to, to said potter is, is really, really important. And th- we have to have the utmost respect for what they do because we really do put them through their paces. Yeah. Your emotions in particular are quite at the surface. And I find... I'm getting more that way as the older I get as well. Why do we, like, we try and hide it, but maybe we shouldn't. What do you think it is about you oh, and the look, connection? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I remember the, the first series of the first 10 minutes of the first episode and I, was, I started getting bloody emotional. I mean, it was mad. Um, and I didn't know it was going to happen. I literally didn't know. It was a complete surprise to me. And really what it is, is, is that when that, that potter is the other side of that judging bench, and their, their, their piece of ceramic is on the judging bench. And it's that conduit between us and them. And when they've ticked all the boxes, I know, obviously, from doing it myself, I know how hard it is to, mm. to visualise that, that end goal, that, that piece in your, in your head on that judging bench. When you open that kiln door, you never really know what you're going to get. And, um, and obviously, the more you learn and the more you do it, the, the, the better that connection is. And I just absolutely love uh, seeing that connection. It's not my imagination on the desk. It's theirs. And it's there before us. And it's, it's their message that they wanted to convey uh, with us through clay. And I just find that a really wonderful experience. I think it's great. But you're wonderful to watch as a result of that. <laughs> you are. Before I let you go, your own line, your own pottery line, it's very 
distinct. It's very standout. It's yeah. I love the typewriter type. The yeah. words that you use. So just I mean, everyone knows, but like they're white mugs and they have yeah. words or phrases. How, how did that come to you? Well, there you go. It's 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 taking a negative into a positive again. What one of my ma- main mantras in life is is um, a pessimist problem is an optimist's opportunity. And you know who knew a dyslexic Potter comes out with a word range with words on it, and it's like wow. And and the reason for that is because I often uh, look at words a, a, as a shape or a particular design first in it before taking in that textual information as we do when we read and i remember putting the first word i ever put on a mug was the word hot and purely because i liked the shape of the word yeah. you know you've got the t and the and the h at either end and the, and the central o and it just seemed to me a really contained word and the fact that it's conducive to put on a mug hot ironic was 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 all the better and and that's where it that's where it came from and so you know that's the thing if you have dyslexia or you have any kind of form of dare i say disability it's not really use it to your advantage um and find a way through maybe a creative path to using that in your in your everyday life and that's what I've done. You certainly have. You certainly have. <laughs> I can't wait to finish the book now. I haven't finished it yet. The Boy in the China Shop, Life, Clay and Everything. Keith Bramer Jones, thank you so much for your time this morning. It's an absolute pleasure. I feel better already. Well, get well soon. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Weekend Breakfast with Alison Curtis. Today is in.